Hello, and welcome back to the Eccles Business Buzz Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Johnson. Thanks for joining us today as we continue exploring the topic of economic equality and all the different factors that influence a fair and equitable economic experience. In today's episode, we are tackling the topic of student loan debt. Americans owe $1.77 trillion in federal and private student loan debt as of the second quarter of 2023, and questions about whether and how borrowers should be required to repay that debt have become part of an ongoing national conversation. On a personal level, for students and alums of the David Eccles School of Business and others around the country, student loan debt has very real economic implications, influencing decisions like what job and salary to accept or whether or not to make a large investment like buying a house. Research also shows that low and middle income borrowers are more likely to default on their loans, which can lead to lower credit scores and more trouble obtaining loans in the future, all of which only exacerbates racial wealth gaps and economic inequality. Here to help us unpack all of this is Adam Looney. Adam is a professor and executive director of the Mariner S. Eccles Institute for Quantitative Analysis of Markets and Organizations here at the Eccles School. He is a nationally recognized expert on student debt, having testified before Congress multiple times on the topic of student debt forgiveness. He is also the author of several highly viewed articles exploring student loan debt forgiveness and repayment plans. Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. Well, Adam, the topic of student loan debt is a hot topic. It's been at the forefront of a lot of economic discussions, especially considering its growing magnitude and growing impact on individuals and the economy. Can you start us off with an overview of the current state of student loan debt in the U.S.? What is the scale of this problem? Sure. Well, the the problem is enormous. As you said, students and their families owe close to $1.8 trillion in student debt. About $1.6 trillion of that debt is owed to the federal government in the form of federal student loans. Uh, There are around 45 million Americans that owe those loans. And obviously, you know, many students struggle with their student loans. So prior to the pandemic, each year, almost a million student loan borrowers defaulted on the loan. There's obviously widespread reports about how the burden of a student loan makes it harder for students to afford everyday items and to finance a home, for example, or start a family. And it's obviously become a huge political issue. The Biden administration proposed sweeping changes to student loan policy and forgiveness policies. And if you look at all of those policies in combination, those would have cost almost a trillion dollars to taxpayers in terms of increased subsidies or the cost of forgiveness. Obviously, those are things that are mired in political debate. Biden's proposal to forgive student loans was suspended and overturned by the Supreme Court. And so this fall, millions of students or student loan borrowers entered repayment on their student loans for the first time in almost three years. And so we're in the middle of that process today. Obviously, a huge issue for students and families and for the economy at large. Well, Adam, I'm hoping you can talk to us a little bit about how we got here. This situation seems like it's very dire. 
It is very dire, as you've said, as we heard in the intro, but it also seems like it's kind of a recent phenomenon. I will out myself here by saying I graduated from college in 2003. I certainly borrowed money to go to college. This was not part of the conversation, the economic conversation when I was a student. What is contributing to this problem becoming so large now? So that's right. I think that your intuition is right that this didn't seem to be as large of an issue 20 years ago as it is today, and it came on very suddenly. And so I, I think the short answer is what changed over the last 20 years is that student loans became a lot riskier, mostly because of changes in government policies that affected which institutions and programs could participate in loan programs. There had always been student loans for the last 40 or 50 years, and those programs operated steadily over that period of time. And in the era in the 1990s and early 2000s, I think that we didn't have these huge explosions in concern about the level of debt and, and students defaulting. But what changed was starting in the 2000s, there was a substantial increase in enrollment and borrowing among students at relatively risky schools and programs. These are things like for-profit schools, online programs, community colleges, and non-selective four-year institutions, public and private nonprofit four-year institutions, and also very expensive graduate programs. And previously, those types of institutions and the students that they served were excluded from the student lending system. Basically, Congress said that it was too risky to have those institutions participate. And so there were rules that effectively prohibited them from being able to enroll students, especially students who would borrow student loans. And in the late 90s and early 2000s, Congress unwound those rules. And that caused a flood of enrollment into those programs, particularly among less advantaged students, students who were perhaps less well-prepared for college, non-traditional students in the sense that they might not have been enrolled at a traditional time, like you know, at 18 or 19, but were enrolled later in life, might have been enrolled in less than full-time programs that didn't lead to a traditional four-year bachelor's degree. And the short story is that those students borrowed a lot of money. They struggled a, a tremendous amount with their loans. Often they failed to complete the program. The program didn't lead to a job or certainly didn't lead to a job that made it easy to finance their student loan. And so the short answer is that's the big change. I can expand upon how we got to that point and why the rules changed. So let's circle back then, knowing this, and hindsight is twenty twenty, of course, but why were these changes implemented that allowed a much riskier student loan ecosystem and a riskier, I mean, I think you could argue a riskier higher education landscape right? If these lower quality institutions are able to enroll more students, then they stick around for longer and they're part of the sort of higher education environment in a bigger way than maybe they were before. So why take that risk? Well, I mean, I think let's go back to why we have student loans in the first place. The basic reason is that college is expensive. It has always been expensive, even 20, 30 years ago, just like today. It is hard for a low, middle, even upper income, upper middle class family to afford a college education. It's not just the upfront cost of tuition, but also 
cost of living expenses of not being in the job market for the several years that you're enrolled. And so that was a constant barrier that prevented many Americans from pursuing a degree that has a very high payoff. College is a very good investment and pays off in terms of higher earnings and better job security over the course of a lifetime. And I think too few Americans invest in those degrees. And so we have a student loan program for two reasons. One is to help people pursue a college degree and graduate programs. And second, to make access to college more equitable in the U.S. and and around the world, whether you go to college, whether you complete college, whether you go to graduate school is closely related to your family income and your family background, whether your parents went to college and also whether they have the resources to prepare you for college and, and to pay for it. You just look at the data in the United States. If you grew up in the top 10% of the income distribution, you have roughly a 90% chance of going to college at around age 20. So you know everybody from a upper middle class or upper class income goes to college at around age 18. But in the US, if you're in the bottom 10% of the income distribution, something like only 40% go to college in their 20s. And there's very little catch up after that. So incredibly inequitable about who gets to go to college. It's so interesting. I mean, a really good faith, I think, attempt to even the playing field and address inequality in higher education in this case that just ended up uncovering a more persistent inequality that just providing credit could not solve. Oh, that's right. It is, uh, I think, incredibly frustrating because, again, I think college is a very high-quality investment. I think, you know, it is a key way where Americans move up the economic ladder. It's a vehicle of social mobility. It's obvious that there are huge inequities in terms of who gets to go to college, who's able to persist to complete a degree, and who gets to go to graduate school. But it seems like access to financial aid alone is not able to overcome those barriers and in fact, seems to have made many millions of these often disadvantaged students worse off. Yeah, more disadvantaged. We've talked a lot about the positive economic consequences of borrowing money to get a degree that then has these knock-on effects of higher earning potential, less likelihood of being unemployed, more likelihood that your children will go to college if you are a parent who attended college What's the flip side? What are some of the knock-on consequences of student debt that exacerbate the gaps that we've been talking about today? Sure. Well, I mean, I do like to emphasize that on average, college students do well because student loan borrowers, to a large degree, reflect who goes to college. The outcomes of student loan borrowers look a lot like the outcomes of typical college students. And so it's important to remember that Student loan borrowers are more likely to have a job. They earn more. They're more likely to to be able to own a house and they're more likely to become married. So it's not a um, universal impediment to being able to launch a career and a life. But obviously, if your education does not pay off or if you're unlucky, you take out a student loan and you are unable to finish your degree or you finish your degree and, and you can't find a good job in your city or in your area then there are obviously consequences. I think previously, it can impair your 
credit score. Obviously, there's a direct burden of having to make monthly payments that you might have otherwise used to save or invest or to improve your quality of life. So it does have real effects. And if you look at who defaults on a student loan or who struggles the most, it's predominantly individuals from low-income families, Pell recipients, for example, and individuals who struggle in the labor market. And in that context, you know, it's just an additional burden on those students. I would like to say that there have been big changes in how we ask students to repay their student loans over the last 10 years, and those changes have been accelerated today. So today we have repayment plans that allow students to repay only 5% of their discretionary income. So in other words, if you are enrolled in an income-based repayment plan and you make less than thirty-five, about $30,000 a year, then you don't have to make payments on your student loans and the federal government will cover the interest. And then if you make more than roughly $30,000 a year, then you only have to pay 5% of your income if you have undergraduate loans. Graduate students have to pay somewhat more. So some of those burdens of student loans have been addressed and students can avoid default and the negative consequences of default, even if they're struggling financially. Well, let's move into talking about some solutions, Adam. I think a really interesting point that has come up in our conversation so far is that financial aid alone is not enough to address some of the larger inequities and unequal outcomes that we see in higher education and certainly in other places as well. And so addressing the burden of financial aid that is not solving the problems that we hoped it would is a big topic, as we've said, a hot topic. And one of the proposals is student loan forgiveness. So some people are saying universal forgiveness, no one who borrowed money should have to repay. President Biden's proposal was to forgive a certain amount, in this case, $20,000 per borrower. If we had that kind of forgiveness, student debt forgiveness, how would the outcomes be different than what we've seen now? And is it the right solution or are there better more maybe incremental reforms to the system that can help address this problem that just keeps getting bigger. I think that the biggest challenge to thinking about this problem and to designing policy is the fact that there is so much inequity in terms of who goes to college in the first place. And the reason that that matters is because today there are effectively two groups of students. You could think of the one group as being traditional students, you know, students who enrolled at age 18, completed their BA, went to graduate school, borrowed money to go to medical school, for example, or law school. Those traditional students are drawn from relatively high-income families. They owe a lot of student debt because they've enrolled in school for a long time. They often enroll at more expensive schools. They've en enrolled in graduate school, and they're quite successful. They become doctors, lawyers, where they earn degrees and get good jobs. And so a large amount of student debt in the United States is owed by borrowers who are well-educated. It is concentrated among individuals in the highest income deciles, the higher income families. And in fact, just because of the pattern of who gets to go to college, children from high income families tend to actually borrow more student debt 
than children from low-income families. And that's not because they face greater needs. It's just because they're more likely to be enrolled in college. They're more likely to go to four years of undergraduate, and they're much more likely to get a graduate degree. So the point is that there is this inequity in terms of who owes student debt baked into the system because loans are available to all students and who goes to college is basically determines who gets a student loan. And so I, I think that that makes it a challenge for forgiving or for providing relief to those who are really suffering from their student loans. Because obviously there's this whole other group of students who are non-traditional students. They haven't completed a degree. They struggle. They're more from disadvantaged backgrounds. So that's why I'm personally skeptical of policies that would provide universal forgiveness or, or policies that would provide $20,000 to all students, because I, I think that that compounds the inequity by providing, in many cases, more resources to relatively successful groups of students. I think this is such a great point and something that comes up so much in these conversations about creating true equality and equitable access to resources and experiences is that the catastrophes that we see, like a student loan debt crisis, are really symptoms of a larger problem of systemic inequality. While we can take measures, and and I want to talk about this as well, we can take action to solve or address the surface symptoms that have gone wrong to really address all of these problems in a sustainable way. We have to get to the root of the systemic inequality and lack of access. But Adam, because we can't solve all the world's problems in our time together today, let's talk about this problem of student loan debt and what to do about it. It's complex. It's ongoing. There are a lot of factors that are influencing it, many of which we've talked about today, including these systems that disadvantage and exclude people and have for a long time. What are some approaches that might address or rectify the problem of student loan debt as we are experiencing it right now? There's two basic problems and thus basic ways to think about solving the problem in the future. So one problem is quality and one problem is cost. And so when we think about quality, uh, you know, a big part of the reason why we're in this crisis is because of rising enrollment and borrowing at low quality institutions. Previously, Congress had rules that placed guardrails basically on, on where students could use federal aid to finance their education. In the past, those were rules about default rates. So if too many students defaulted on a student loan at your university, then your university would become ineligible to participate in federal financial aid programs in the future. Congress and various administrations have been closely interested in these kinds of ideas that they're broadly called accountability. There are big differences of opinion about how they should be structured and which universities they should apply to. But the basic idea of these rules is to say, we're going to look at the outcomes of your students using things like what fraction complete a degree, what fraction get a job, how much do they earn after they enroll, 
how successful are they in repaying their financial aid, how much they cost, for example, then saying, well, if the outcomes of your students are sufficiently low, then we're not going to allow you to participate in this program. And so we have some of these programs that are going to be in place. The administration, the current administration has proposed these gainful employment rules that apply mostly to for-profit schools, but mostly not to public and private nonprofit institutions that say, if your students can't find work, basically, that allows them to pay their loans, then we're not going to allow those programs to participate in aid. And I think that those kinds of policies are effective because it's going to improve the quality of where students go to school. There's a lot of evidence that when low quality programs are shut out because of these programs, that students go to better quality schools and then they have better outcomes. So one part of the equation is kind of improving the minimum standards of what qualifies for financial aid. But then the other part of the problem is about cost and how much students borrow and how much the program costs. And in that area, one source of today's problem, particularly among graduate students, is that starting in 2006, graduate students were allowed to borrow up to the entire cost of attendance. And that has allowed some graduate students to borrow very large amounts. And it has allowed a lot of universities to increase their tuition or you know, create new graduate programs for students that are premised on the idea that these students can borrow very large amounts. So you know, part of that problem is that without caps on how much students can borrow, we've had this escalating debt burdens that are impossible for any reasonable student to expect to have to repay or to be able to repay. And so that's very costly <laughs> for the government and for students. But at the other end of the scale, you know, there are students who, even with Pell Grants and existing loans, are unable to find a program that is affordable to them. I think part of the solution is a rebalancing of putting limits on how much institutions could charge taxpayers for programs, you know, things like having limits on how much students can borrow from the federal government to enroll in a program. And at the other end of the spectrum, changing the way that we provide aid to lower income students to make it make access to these higher quality programs more available. And I guess to just bring us full circle, Adam, how do these solutions contribute to a more sustainable and equitable student loan system and higher education system going forward. So we don't exacerbate the problem that we have, but so we also don't strip away or limit access for these students who, as you've said, it's demonstrated a huge appetite for higher education. People want that experience. How do we create a system that provides it in an equitable way? I think the reality is that college is very good investment for a very large share of Americans. And I think the problem is, is identifying programs and institutions that are effective at serving disadvantaged low-income students who had historically not enrolled in very high numbers. If we could have increased enrollment at good quality programs and better guidance to steer students into programs that they can complete and that 
lead to good quality jobs, then I don't think we would have a repayment crisis. I think that we could have a system where students borrow amounts that are commensurate with the value of the program and where the dividends from investing in those programs are much larger than the the cost of the program or the burden on taxpayers from, from subsidizing those loans. And I think that that would return us to the equilibrium that had existed before, where by and large, the federal student loan program didn't cost taxpayers anything because students who had enrolled in those programs repaid their loans with interest. And those repayments financed new loans for the next generation of students. You know, I think that there was an opportunity to restore balance and sustainability of the system. And I'm hoping that we get to do that. I hope so too. And I'm sure many of our students and alums do as well. Adam, thank you so much for being here today and helping us understand a little bit more about this big and complex issue. Yeah, thank you. It was a great conversation. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. We'll be back next week with another great conversation about economic equality and inclusion. So be sure to subscribe to Eccles Business Buzz wherever you listen to podcasts so you won't miss it. And if you are enjoying the season so far, you can leave us a rating and a review too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Eccles Alumni for all the latest news from your Eccles Alumni Network. Until next time. Eccles Business Buzz is a production of the David Eccles School of Business and is produced by University FM.